We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Everybody. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me is Michael Carl Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Oh, I could not tell you what the Carl is. Carl Just... Malone, baby, ready to deliver the mail. Well, I, I, I will be delivering some mail today. So, uh, you know, the, the Fachi, the postman, is at it today. And plus, speaking of the post, I mean, hey, Patriots could use a little help over there. But you know what? <laughs> I, I got some letters today to deliver. Alex, who do we want to start with? Oh, man. I think we have to always – I always say this wrong to you. We're not delivering the mail. The mail was delivered to us. So we're I'm always ready to deliver. I'm just itching to you know, we're, hand We're going to deliver the there. answers to the mail that was delivered to us. There we go. Let's Fair start enough. off here with our with our good friend uh, – friend. Wow, I can't even talk. Friend, Randall. I was getting excited for Randall. I just put friend and Randall together and said friend. But anyway, let's start this over. Randall, how you doing, man? Thanks so much for – Dropping this question, and he said, do you think the lack of defined roles as a, has affected the players? Even though the Pacers are playing really good, it still seems like a makeshift roster some of the time. I definitely agree. Uh, I, I think that it has. Um, I, I, Jalen Smith, first name that comes to mind, his role's been all over the place, from being named the starting power forward to then not playing in fourth quarters to then coming off the bench. He's seen his minutes uh, go from 24 minutes per game through November to just 16 and a half minutes per game since December. So that's just one example. But Chris Duarte, I mean, think about this. Look, coming off of a stellar rookie season uh, where he was all rookie second team, and if it wasn't for the injuries, maybe could have pushed for the first team. Uh, I feel like due to the emergence of Matherin, Neesmith stepping up, and Duarte's ankle injury, I feel like it's it's had his minutes all over the place. He went from 21 and a half minutes per game uh, the beginning of the season uh, to now 16 minutes per game. It's about a 30% minute reduction. That's that's really tough. And then, obviously, you got guys like 
Ajax, who coming into the season, you thought was going to take a big step forward. Terry Taylor, who starts on opening night. Both those guys at one point fell out of the rotation. And, you know, if you want to talk about in specific with Terry Taylor, first four games, he's logging between 15 to 24 minutes. Alex, since then, after the first four games, only once has he played mm-hmm. double-digit minutes again, and it was recently against Memphis in a blowout. Yeah, which is nothing, honestly. It's just garbage time, so that it sucks is. for him. Um, yeah, because everybody talked about him having a great like offseason. They raved about him. I I haven't heard a front office talk about what they believe in Terry, how much they believe in Terry Taylor in my life, and then all of a sudden he's like starting the first part of the season. I'm like, okay, because Miles obviously had the injury, and then all of a sudden he just gets taken out of the lineup and he's nowhere to be found. So goes to the G League and dominates in the G League for the Madden. Too good so, for the G League. Too you good. know he's a he's a tough player to get out there because the Pacers have too many players at the same position, but. Yeah, I think there's a lot of guys that you could say on this roster. Like you talked about Duarte, he was a starter coming into the season. Matherin was coming off the bench. Duarte was starting with Buddy and Halliburton and Jalen Smith and Miles Turner at the beginning of the year. Obviously, Miles got hurt, so everything changed. And Duarte just never really got his footing underneath him. And so never did. he was in and out of the starting lineup. And we talked about that being such a problem for him last year. Like started for like two or three weeks, then comes back to the bench and then back and forth. I think, honestly, Rick Carlisle – uses you know the regular season to kind of play with different lineups and see what different combinations he can have and you're going to have your set starters like your buddies your miles your your halliburtons and then everything else just kind of switch around and so that's why you're seeing guys in that lineup like neesmith but now he's officially solidified himself as a starter and same with nimhard you know wasn't even playing in the first game before he became a starter so i do think that it probably for for young players it, it might be a little bit harder to really like know what their role is supposed to be. But I think at the same time, they're getting great coaching. They know what their role is supposed to be when they're playing in that certain game. So it's all about buying into that role, whether they like it or not, and and doing what's best for the team. And hopefully, you know, by doing that, it'll open up more opportunities for them because it's, it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of players that really deserve playing time and you only have so many minutes to give out Pachi. So I think that this is a great observation, but it does still feel like a makeshift roster because we have so many guards and so many centers and and it feels like we're just missing some pieces to really, you know, look at our team as a, a legit playoff threat. It's true. I mean, so, some nights there's guys like O'Shea Brissett who can't really get any minutes. And then other nights you're like, this guy has to play at least 20 minutes per game. And that, that's happened for so many different players on this team. So, and then it, it could get even more complicated with the Daniel Tice coming back and Gogo's already not playing. It, it's just, there's there's too many players that are deserving of minutes, which is something that we didn't have that problem with in the past. But moving to our next question, we have the two-pointers pod said, do we think Turner gets moved in any manner at the deadline, or are there other deadline moves you guys see? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a the million-dollar question about Miles Turner. I think we're going to get this until the trade deadline passes, Fachi. Until we see a contract extension, I think there is a chance that he gets moved. Now, where I don't know. Do they do they try to hold on and maybe sign him in March and, and, and keep it afloat? I, I don't know. But personally, I just feel like the Pacers, based on all the reporting, there's not been a clear understanding of what's happening there. Mark Stein just put out a report yesterday uh, on Saturday where he was talking about, you know, the, the Turner stuff and, and basically just said there's not a good read on that still. But it does appear that Rick Carlisle wants him as he advocated for him after the the game against the Knicks when he was a late scratch with the back spasm, Carlisle joked about, 
I hope we didn't trade Miles Turner. We're not trading Miles Turner, that kind of thing. So I, I think he's putting his foot down that he wants to keep Miles. But, you know, at the same time, it's all about Miles and what he wants to do as well. So if they can't come to an agreement, we've talked about this at nauseum. You got to make a move for him so you don't lose him for nothing. But I do think there could be some other moves on the margins. And I think we talked about that with our last our, uh, our last podcast that we did with Jake Fisher's article talking about the Gogas, the Chris Duartes, and, you know, maybe even guys like Daniel Ty, somebody you can move. So I think there are moves on the outer skirts that could happen. But I don't think the Pacers are just going to make a move to make a move. So, yeah, I think you could see the Pacers being semi-active, but probably more as sellers than buyers. I'm with you on that. Look, if the Pacers are unable to come to an extension agreement with Moss Turner, I do think he gets moved. I know it's unpopular. Fans will likely wonder, what if? What if this Pacers team had stayed together? But the Pacers, the big thing is, is they have to stay one step ahead if they're unable to come to an agreement because a guy like Turner has trade value. He's been relatively healthy. He's having a career year. And I, I think that he has suitors. However, you're also talking about when people are throwing out numbers upwards of $30 million per year. Sorry, I just don't really view him as a max player. And the Pacers are going to, once they sign Tyrese Albert, a max contract extension, I don't think that Turner could be the second guy on a borderline max, making 30 plus million, and then still have room to continuously get better. So I crunched some numbers. Look, Pacers are three and six without Turner and 20 and 15 with him. I get it. They're better with him in the lineup. But if if they don't move Turner, I could see them potentially doing something like you mentioned, flipping Goga for for something. I don't know. Maybe it's a young player. Maybe it's a you know a second round pick. Maybe it's just opening up playing time. But even though he's not really taking any playing time, but just kind of clearing up the the center rotation a bit. Um, or Duarte could be traded. I think a lot of this hinges on the health of Tyrese Halliburton and what the Pacers' record looks like over the next few weeks because. I mentioned it recently. The trade deadline is roughly three weeks away. Halliburton is expected to be reevaluated in basically two weeks. If the Pacers kind of look sluggish out there over the next few weeks, they could very well be sellers instead of buyers. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, when, when Halliburton didn't play on the road trip a little bit, I think it was the Blazers game, Fachi, mm -hmm. and, and Turner played in that one, it, you could just tell where Turner missed Halliburton in that game. You know, as as good as Nimhard was, it, it just feels like, you know, Halliburton makes everybody better. No I'll doubt. be curious to see how Miles plays without Halliburton. Now, it's not a knock on Miles because I don't think Miles is really a self-creator. I no. think he's the beneficiary of of others being self-creators and uh, creation by others. So we'll, we'll see how the offense looks, but I'm curious to see if he maybe takes a step up or kind of demands the ball a little bit more. We'll, we'll see how he fits moving forward without Halliburton if he's able to return against the Bucks, But they definitely need him because he provides a uh, a presence for them outside, shooting the basketball, as well as on the interior, blocking shots and protecting the rim. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he looks like without Halliburton because if Halliburton's out two weeks plus, it's going to be a while. So we're going to have to see him start to develop a little bit more chemistry, maybe with a guy like Andrew Nimhart at the point and see how they can utilize those two together. But um, you ready to move on to the next question? I am. All right. Aaron M said, this team reminds me of the Phoenix Suns team that came from out of nowhere and almost made the playoffs in the bubble. The next season, I believe they had the best record in the NBA. If Halliburton gets back in the next two to three weeks, do you think this team can have a similar trajectory? I like the comparison. I don't think that could quite happen yet. Like the Suns had Devin Booker. 
They had an emerging center in DeAndre Ayton, and then eventually they added Chris Paul to the mix and really took off. I think next year the Pacers could very well go on a run. A lot it remains to be determined if Turner is here or not, because if Turner is gone, who's the Pacers' starting center next year? I mean, no one really knows who's behind him that's going to fill those shoes. But I think that we surprised a lot of teams thus far with three first-round picks coming our way, uh, second most cap space behind only the Spurs and a super young team. Anything can happen, but I don't think that we're going to mimic Phoenix and go from not being in the playoffs to all of a sudden, I believe Phoenix became the one seed the following year after going 8-0 in the bubble and then missing uh, the, the, the playoffs that year. Yeah, I think adding Chris Paul was a big, big move for the for the Phoenix Suns. And if the Pacers are able to pull off a move like that to get a veteran in here that plays a position of need, then that'd be huge because obviously you got Halliburton at points. So you can kind of compare him to Devin Booker in terms of like your guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if you wanted to throw in Aiton out there as like a rookie that was like up and coming, maybe that's Benedict Matherin for the comparison there and what you like there. And then uh, maybe we can even say Jay Crowder, similar to Buddy Heald with their veteran presence. And then, the Mikel Bridges is the guy we're still missing on this Pacers team. Is it Aaron Neesmith? I, I don't necessarily know if I think Neesmith's in the same category no. as Mikel Bridges yet, so I don't want to get too carried away there. But obviously, having that veteran presence in uh, uh, Miles Turner, if he's still here, is huge. But I still think they're just missing that one extra piece, and that to me would what would keep it away from that big of a trajectory. And honestly, I think the Eastern Conference is still so loaded with Boston, and, and I feel like what happened with – the Suns, as they were blessed in a, in a sense because of the injuries that occurred to the Nuggets, the Clippers, Warriors. and the Warriors. Yeah, I was getting to all three of those teams that were like the favorites, right? You know, obviously, you know, Clay Thompson and then, um, and then, Steph you know, Curry, Steph Curry had the injury for a little while. And then, of course, you uh, know, Draymond was out there running the games by himself at the time and Jordan Poole was really stepping Ugh. up into his. It was, yeah. it was bad. And then, like, the, the, the Nuggets, right? They had Jamal Murray go down with an injury. Michael Porter Jr. got hurt, I believe. And then, of course, the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, can never stay healthy. So, yeah, I think that the Suns were just at the right place at the right time. And and getting Chris Paul was huge for them because Chris Paul had an excellent season that year. But, yeah, I just – I think the Pacers are still a little bit of ways from, you know, getting to the top of the Eastern Conference. But it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of had a similar run to what the what the Cavaliers are doing right now, Fachi. I think yeah. that, to me, is a better trajectory for them. Uh, but I, I think they still need to add that extra draft pick or or make a trade like the like the Cavs did to get another piece in here. Yeah, I mean, when you look at teams that took a step forward, I mean, the Knicks adding Jalen Brunson this year was, was a big reason of why they're sitting in the sixth seed. And the Cavs adding Donovan Mitchell, another big reason why they took that jump. So I think that those are two teams that were looking for sort of that missing piece to be able to go on a run. And I think that when, you know, that's, with the Pelicans, maybe it's you know adding Zion, a healthy Zion Williamson to the mix and, and things like that. So the Pacers still need to add a big piece if they're going to really compete with the upper echelon of the East, like those top four teams or so. But I would be more than happy to see this team uh, kind of go on a run and just kind of be flirting around with that fifth, sixth seed next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the next question, we have Andrew. Andrew stated, I feel like Matherin has struggled to keep defenses honest on the drive. He gets a ton of calls, which is awesome, but don't feel like it's sustainable in the long term. And I feel it's a large piece as to why he doesn't yet start or close out games. He doesn't have a solidified mid-range pull-up yet, and his three ball has been lacking as of late. And I'm curious as to what you all feel his next step should be as a player. Do you think he should prioritize distributing out of the pick and roll, 
or should he push towards developing a more consistent jumper to keep the lane open? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of observations here from Andrew about Matherin. I think there's a lot to dissect here. Um, I will just first start off and say that he has closed out quite a few games this season. Um, now, he might not be the guy getting the ball at closing time, but he's been in those lineups usually. Now, they have at times gone back to the starters because, you know, Nimhart and Eastmith are better defenders and Buddy Hill's been awesome offensively. So it, 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 there was a stretch there where he wasn't closing out games. But, yeah, I think that, you know, worrying about his drive and, and thinking that he gets a lot of calls and it might not be sustainable, I think that I disagree with that. I think that Matherin being a rookie and being able to put so much pressure already on defenses is something that is only going to blossom even more because I think the more that Matherin gets to be involved in the NBA and begins to work out and do different things in the offseason, he's going to find more ways to be more crafty and draw more fouls. And he's just so quick. Now, I do agree the next step for him is one, you know, finding a mid-range jumper. I'm not super worried about that. I think the floater, he's slowly started to show that Fachi. Um, throughout throughout the season, we started to see him make a little bit more reads in the pick and roll, but not a lot. That's where we saw Paul Paul George really develop as a as a young player. He was kind of a shooter when he first came into the league, and he would drive sometimes. Mm-hmm. But we weren't really known as for Paul George being this passer, right? And then all of a sudden, when PG got that little pocket pass down with the pick and roll, it was it was game over. So I think if Matherin can eventually get to that point where he's able to get that pocket pass down in the pick and roll it's going to help him get better. And I think it's going to open up the lane more because if he's able to run a pick and roll with a miles or whoever's out there running the big, it's going to be better than just him straight line drive attacking. But I think the one thing that we notice a lot with Mather and he doesn't always play on the ball. He plays off ball a lot and he has a lot of timely cuts where he gets to the right spot at the right time. And I would say that that's something you can't overlook either because he is a master at the timing of when to cut. And sometimes I wish he would do it more because he can kind of stand in the corner at times. But for me personally, when he cuts at the right time, it can be a game changer and a hard cut can put as much pressure on a defense as attacking the basket. So I think that you're right to poke some holes in his game. It's not perfect at all. It's not finished at all. It's not polished, but you know, it's, it's pretty darn impressive for a rookie Fachi. Ooh, such a gifted scorer right now, but Recently, and I know you actually referenced this episode. I ended up going back and listening to it on JJ Reddick's show, The Old Man and the Three. Fred Van Vliet mentioned if all you can do is score in the NBA, that you won't cut it for long in the NBA. And I know that's an extreme statement towards someone like Matherin. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is he's such a gifted scorer over here that you then start to wonder okay, what's the next part of his game? And I do think that he needs to get a little bit better in distribution. Look, when you have a guy like Tyrese Halliburton leading the NBA in assists, he's just flat out better facilitating the offense than a Matherin. But when I went through all of Matherin's games, he only has two games on the all season above three assists. Most of the games, a lot of times it's just one or two assists. So it's like he's always kind of looking for, looking to score. And I, I think that he could improve as a defender. That, that happens with everybody in time. You're a rookie. But the three-point shot being a little bit more consistent would be awesome. And just crunching some numbers on this, you know, he, he can obviously get to the free throw line. Great, which is a, way ahead of anyone could have anticipated. But going back to three-point scoring, you know, the beginning of the season, through November, he was shooting 40% from three. Then he took a, a steady decrease as just about 26% from three from December to now January. And his attempts 
have now decreased each and every single month moving forward. So I don't want to say that he's maybe losing confidence in his three-point ball, but I think if we can make that a little bit more consistent and look to be a little bit more of a distributor, I think that would be awesome because early on, a lot of people compared him to Dwayne Wade. However, one of Dwayne Wade's you know characteristics that maybe people don't give him enough credit for was really good facilitator. Actually, early on pre-LeBron, you know, he was giving you five, six assists per game. And that was, at this point, 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. I think that he has room to grow. But, man, we, we get a little bit, I don't want to say greedy at times, of how good Matherin has been for this team. But, obviously, he does have ways and areas of his game that he can and will improve upon. Yeah, and I was going to say, I know a lot of people can get kind of frustrated with, with Quinn Buckner because he talks a lot, right? And, I mean, we mm-hmm. see that <laughs> Facebook, you know, Instagram, Twitter, whatever – but one thing that he always talks about is how Matherin sometimes gets too deep before he puts the ball up. And okay. I, I think a couple of different times where I saw it, I think it was in the Hawks game, maybe if he just like pulls up about at the eight-foot mark instead of going into the five- to four-foot mark trying to get a layup or a, or a contested shot there with like a little floater, if he just maybe takes a, a shorter jumper, at like, you know, 10 feet out, he's going to be more wide open. It's going to be a cleaner look. And I think Matherin can do that. I think he's a gifted enough player, like you said, a super gifted offensive player, but he can add different tricks into his bag. But I think right now, and one thing that I've heard Rick Carlisle say is just keep it simple. And right now, they're not trying to overcomplicate things to Matherin. They're keeping it simple. And by doing so, he's had a successful season. So don't start adding all this other stuff in there and like, okay, we're going to start having you do this and run this pick and roll type of thing. No, they're keeping it simple. Here's the actions we want you to run. You know, be smart with it. And, and Matherin's a very smart basketball player. I think you can already tell he has improved defensively from the beginning mm-hmm. of the season to now. Just, you know, there's times where he gets a little bit ball watchy still, but I think for the most part, he's gotten better of staying in front of his man, being a little bit more physical, not biting on pump fakes. And he's just very kind of poised. And sometimes you feel like he doesn't care sometimes with how poised he is, but it's just kind of nonchalant onto the next play. And uh, I think that his offensive game is so well-rounded that it's only going to get better. One area I would like to see him maybe get more looks at is more shots from the corner, Fachi, because the three-point shot in the corner is shorter, but he doesn't usually spot up there too often and get a lot of looks there. A lot of his looks are at the top of the key or on the on the wing, you know, right there on the, the left wing or the right wing when he's dribbling the basketball, and it's not usually catch and shoot. So maybe some more catch and shoot threes off of drives in the corner could be something for him, but I think right now with no Halliburton, it's going to be difficult for him to get more open looks because there's less creators out there to get open shots for him. Very valid point. I mean, I know that he excelled in the Hawks game, but obviously Memphis, that that was tough. And moving forward, I mean, it just shows that Halliburton makes everybody around him better. So I think we're going to get a larger sample size over the next few weeks to really see, you know, where players are are struggling a bit without a guy like Tyrese Halliburton passing them open. So uh, you ready for the next one? Yeah, Tyler Christian said, what do you think will be the team's strategy at the trade deadline? It's likely that Halliburton's injury threw a wrench in things, but do you think there, uh, there'll be buyers, sellers, or a combination of the two? Man, when you talk about throwing a wrench in things, I'm thinking about for the movie Dodgeball, where they're saying if you could dodge a wrench, you could dodge a ball, because this really did throw a wrench in things. Look, Alex, <laughs> we're now 0-2 since Halliburton's injury. 0-3 if you want to throw in the next game when he left early. Now we got Milwaukee. Denver, OKC, Phoenix coming up, it's it's going to be tough. And during that stretch, that four-game road trip, it's four games and six nights. Uh, I think that the Pacers could look to do some smaller things, maybe move Goga 
I don't know if they move Turner, but I, I think that if they are to move Turner, it will open up playing time for Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, Terry Taylor, guys that you can get a, a better evaluation on when as you go into the offseason. However, the Pacers still need to spend, I believe, at least $15 million to reach the minimum floor. They could just give raises to a few of their players, or they could look to acquire someone. So if, if over the next, say, three to four weeks where Halbert is slow to recover or they're taking it real patient with him, I think it could make us sellers. However, my gut is telling me that I, I feel that Buddy isn't going anywhere because it, there's just been too many good reviews on Buddy. The chemistry has of Tyrese Halliburton. I don't think they're at that point yet. If they were able to really come across a deal that made a lot of sense, maybe. But I, I do think that right now, if there's two players that are more likely to get moved, I feel like it's Miles Turner or Goga right now. Yeah, I mean, I think Chris Duarte could be thrown into that mix Very as well. well. Yeah. And it's not like anybody hates Chris Duarte. I just think no. they're seeing how many guys are ahead of him in the pecking order in terms of how well they play this year. And, and you know, Duarte has had some injury problems, so maybe they just want to get rid of the injury problems before they become, you know, an ongoing thing with him his entire career. And I, I think that could be interesting. But, yeah, so looking at Duarte, obviously I felt like at the beginning of the year, you know, people were saying he was kind of an untouchable for the Pacers that really weren't taking calls on him and they really believed in him. So, for him to have this big of a drastic drop, I don't know if they would just trade him off right away because at the same time, you don't want to just trade him while his value is the lowest. No. So nope. that's why it's kind of good for him to have that 25-point game against the against the Grizzlies in a blowout loss. Maybe he can do that for the next couple of weeks, and maybe that talks somebody into it, but uh, into trading for him because his value has gone up. But one thing that I did think was interesting from Mark Stein's reporting, Fachi, over the weekend was – the Hawks have allowed John Collins representation to go around the league to see if there's teams that'd be interested in taking on his contract. So I think that for them kind of like allowing him to like explore the market and see what's out there for him. And the Pacers were a team that was involved with that as well as Utah and a couple other teams. I can't remember the other ones that were mentioned, but the fact that the Pacers were involved in that, I think that's the only kind of buy now move I could see where they maybe have an opportunity to solidify that starting power forward position for the future and the present. And and John Collins could be that guy. And like you said, they have the cap space to do it. So it, it could make some sense. But I still believe they're going to probably be sellers, especially now with Halliburton's injury. And and we'll see how the rest of the, the, the next three weeks goes. But I, I still just think with Halliburton being out for at least, you know, the next seven games, probably it does make a lot of sense to just kind of like hold all your chips close, figure things out in the summer and, and maybe make a marginal move on uh, at the deadline with, you know, one of your lower, lower important players. And I hate to say it like that, but it's just kind of where we're at. I'm with you with that. I still want to know how the Patriots view a guy like O'Shea Brissett, who is, you know, set to hit free agency. If they're not going to re-sign him, that could be another player that True. I don't know that I think could fit a lot of teams. I would like him to stay with the Pacers core for years to come. And I don't think that he, he's going to be asking for a ton, you know, in salary. And the Pacers do have a lot of cap space to be able to make that work. But for Duarte, when you mentioned before, look, his value is just, it's lower than it's ever been. He's not making a lot of money. I don't want to see him ship that out of town just to ship him out. But if a deal makes sense, yes, he could very much be available. And Alex, that kind of leads us into our next question. We had Gavin write in. He said, do you think Duarte's name was off the table in talks for a sign and trade for Aiton? Assuming the package was Turner, Duarte, and a first. I don't know how real that was because it never seemed like it got out that far. It seemed like the Suns were unwilling to even talk about a trade. The, the thing that I had heard the most was basically 
a Turner sign and trade or sign and trade DeAndre Ayton for Miles Turner. And, you know, I don't think the Pacers were ever going to give a, a pick plus Duarte with Turner for Ayton when they had the ability to just sign him outright to a max deal. I don't think they were going to like really mortgage their future for, for this guy. But I think they wanted to maybe do like a swap of the centers or, or uh, try to get him with their cap space and then probably move Turner because if you trade it for, if you signed Aiden, I mean, you're not going to keep Turner on the roster. So there would have been a trade in place for Turner. So yeah, I mean, I, I think at that point, probably Duarte was probably off the tables to a certain degree. But I but I also think that if push came to shove and it was a deal they really, really wanted and like they really felt like Aiden was, you know, drastically better than Turner and thought that he was like a top three center in the league and was, I, I, I mean, obviously Aiden's having a rough year in Phoenix and everybody loves to point it out whenever he has a bad game and, you know, Phoenix fans are frustrated with him. He looks like he's done with Phoenix. So it just seems like a terrible marriage right there. But I, I just feel like if the Pacers really wanted him, you know, long-term here and, and they really wanted him that bad, they probably would have offered it, offered Duarte for him. But I think at the same time, they weren't overly worried about getting this center where they would give up a guy that they just drafted last year. Now, they, it's one thing to cut Dwayne Washington Jr. It's another thing to trade Chris Duarte and potentially a pick. Yeah, I think the Pacers really try to keep Duarte's name off the table. Uh, we we heard, you know, mixed reviews during during that time where it's like it sounded to me like it would have been Turner in a first round pick, and I think that if Phoenix really was pushing for more, then I remember Duarte's name coming up, but I, I don't think there was uh, merit to those reports. Plus, you also got to remember Duarte's coming off of a really good rookie season, and. For Aiton, that was the richest restricted free agent offer sheet ever provided. So the Pacers were spending good money over here. And if they were including Turner and a first-round pick, that already felt like it was a lot. But in my opinion, I don't think Phoenix was ever looking to facilitate a trade. What I really think Phoenix was looking to do was cheap out of paying Aiton that fifth year. Uh, Because by having a team... uh, sent an offer out there, they could match just a four-year deal, which would essentially save them about $40-plus million in that fifth year. For Aiton, that is exactly what they were able to accomplish, and I think that that's part of the reason why Aiton's that bitter is because by going through and having to get an offer from someone else and having it matched by Phoenix, he did miss out on a great deal of money. But I don't think there was too much merit to uh, Duarte's name being on the table. No, I don't, I don't think so either. I think that was more like speculation. Mm-hmm. Should the Pacers do this if it's a possibility? And I know we talked about it uh, you know, for a while, and I think me and you were both kind of like, yeah, maybe Duarte, but not Duarte and a first. No, and Turner, it was it was becoming a lot. It was becoming a lot. I never thought that Aiden was worth all of that, but I did want Aiden. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I get reminded of that uh, by random people on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> pretty hey, much we, every day. We did. A lot of people did. I mean yeah. – Look, you're talking about the former number one overall pick who's like 23 years old. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember I put out there in the summer, like, I guess I'm a weirdo if I think the Pacers going after a center that's been better in his career than Turner was at that point is makes me weird. So I guess I'm a weirdo. And uh, I was like, I don't I don't understand why people were so, like, adamant, like, oh, Aiton sucks, whatever. But then, you know, you got some of the same people who said that, oh, you shouldn't pay Aiton that much, wanting to pay Miles that much. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just, uh, you know – you can't please everybody, and everybody no. has a different uh, uh, viewpoint of how they see people. And like our good friend Michael Scotto says, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So, there it is. You know, maybe uh, maybe I was just a lot higher on Aiton, and I think a lot of people across the league were at that point. I think Turner, up until this season, really hadn't proven that he could be on that same level. But I think if we were to redo our rankings or for our centers now, Fachi, I think Turner's going up quite a few 
quite a few spots based on how he's played this year. Absolutely. Turner has definitely moved up. I I don't know where we had him. I think we had at least eight centers ahead of him last was 12. year. I think we had him at 12. Maybe, maybe it was 12. But the, the, the guys that we named ahead of him were honestly like all-star level players. And I I would – if we redid that list, I guarantee you he's moved up into probably at least the top 10. You know, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, I know he's had a great Aiden, year. He, he has. Aiton was someone that I think we had ahead of Turner. Their, their yeah, stats like are seven. very comparable this year. They are. Um, so we'll have to maybe redo that list at some point and see how much Turner has moved up, but he has definitely moved up. Absolutely. Let's move on. Basketball John said, what is the ceiling for Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard? Ooh, man, let's start with Matherin because that's a little bit easier to determine. I'm talking about a multiple-time all-star in this league, someone who averages a consistent 20 points per game plus on, on a yearly basis. I do think he needs to grow his game elsewhere, like we talked about earlier, if he wants to become an all-NBA-type player. But so far, I mean, we're talking about the the best Pacer rookie that I've at least seen in my lifetime, as well as many other uh, fans' lifetime. So his ability to score, get to the free-throw line, it it, it really is far ahead of his time. I feel like it is Dwayne Wade-like that I mentioned before. But Nemhart, now we're talking about a guy that I, I would like to say is more of a consistent starter in this league. But it gets a little complicated because you got Matherin coming off the bench this year. Um, then you you still got Buddy Heald. If Buddy stays with the Pacers long term, I mean, do you just always see us adopting a three to four guard lineup? I mean, it's it's a lot. I don't, I don't know how it. sustainable. Exactly. So I could see Nemhard growing into like a superb six man of the year type player where he can truly lead a second unit. And I'm sure for other teams, he definitely would be a starter on those teams. I just know you can't have Matherin coming off the bench forever. You you really can't. And the Pacers would always be undersized if it was Halliburton, Nemhard, and Matherin as your, your, you know, your starters. So regardless, I think as a second round pick, he has been 10 times better than anyone could have predicted. So I think his ceiling, you know, I don't want to say is higher on other teams, but I think for right now, I am extremely pleased with what we've seen, and he has a lot more room to grow in this league. Yeah, it's it's tough with Matherin because it's it's kind of I'm kind of curious to see how the Pacers go about building their roster and how many opportunities he's going to have. But it's hard to not think that the sky's the limit when you're putting up 17 points a game as a rookie. You know what I mean? Especially off the bench in limited minutes. So yeah, it, it's hard to really tell. I mean, you could say that his ceiling is like you said a Dwayne Wade type of player. But that's really high. Uh, really high. I mean, that's a Hall of Famer type player. Yeah. But I don't know who's like another like scoring guy like that. But I feel like he's given flashes from a rookie standpoint. I mean, Wade ended mm. up logging what like 15 years in the league. So it's just that Matherin has got a long way to go. But so far, man, he's got you thinking the sky's the limit. Let Let's just put it this way: if he can have somewhere in between a Victor Oladipo being the floor. And Dwayne Wade being the ceiling, if he can have somewhere in between there, I think that's a really good professional career. All NBA selection over there in Old yeah. Depot, yeah. as well as hey, and all uh, all defensive, you know, selection as well. So yeah, I mean, um, Old Depot was awesome in seventeen eighteen. I mean, he was. I, I I can see I can see Matherin having some similar type of years to that. It's just going to be interesting to see if he gets the praise and the love that he deserves because Halliburton's going to be stealing a lot of the shine a lot in mm-hmm. terms of like the spotlight of who gets it but he's a quiet guy you know I could kind of see him being like a uh 
like how he like you know John Desmond Bain one two punch. I could see Halliburton mm. and Mathern being a one two punch similar to I mean, that. Not I think we'd same, be happy with that. Not the same players, obviously. No, no, no. But like just the impact they have on their team. And then for Nimhart, I mean, you know, we've heard the combination or the, the comparison to Tyus Jones, right? A bench type of guy like that. Another old school name I'm going to throw out at you that I think, you know, maybe with a better three-point shot and, and Nimhart, I, I kind of feel like I get some Rod Strickland vibes. With Hey, Strickland had a good career, man. There, there's a lot of people that, that say that he's very underrated. Good defensive player, really good point guard facilitator. I think in one of his better seasons, he averaged over 10 assists a game, so... Um, I, I don't know if he ever made the all-star game or not, but I know that he was just a really solid pro. I think he had, for his career was around like 13, 14 points a game. And I can kind of see in that being the same thing for Nimhart. And that's not a bad thing. Maybe if uh, maybe he does have a Jalen Brunson type of career where he starts okay. off as a backup and yeah. then all of a sudden becomes a starter somewhere else, because, you know, I think we'll try to keep him around longer than, than, the, than the Mavericks did with Brunson, but I can see him maybe getting his own team and flourishing as the point guard and, you know, maybe becoming like a 17 points, 10 assists kind of guy, you know, with, you know, one or two steals. Like, I think he's got that in him. He can be a starter in this league for sure. And I just think at the same time, we're going to have to like see a bigger sample size of it than just what we've seen this year before I can like put out those projections. But yeah, I, I believe in them hard as being a really good player. And I think if he does eventually go to the bench for the Pacers, I see him as a sixth man. I I really do kind of see him as being one of the better six men of the league. I looked up Rod Strickland's stats just now. He made an all-NBA team, never made an all-star team, but it's probably criminal because one year he led the league in assists with 10.5 assists and first career averaged over seven assists. So really good player. But regardless, I, I probably see Nimhard as being a top sixth man if we're talking about the Pacers but could also very well be a starter in the league for many years to come. We're talking about a guy that, as a rookie, uh, is shooting about close to 39% from three. So that's awesome to see, and his command of the offense has been great. All right, everybody, that does it for part one of the mailbag. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for part two of the mailbag as we answer the rest of your questions. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you then. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.